please don't, please don't ask the question, I wish this wasn't happening. Particularly if it's a group setting, I find it mortifying. It's often the first thing someone will say to you. This is Not What You Think, I'm Zasha Rosen. Would you grab a random stranger and just grab their hair? Because it would freak me out if someone did that to me. And it's something that actually happens to African-Australian women all the time. This is the story of Lenya, who, as it happened, had someone just randomly touch her hair not long ago. So I work at a library, and I was shelving books quietly in the back. And this woman came walking up behind me, and I could hear her, and I thought I was actually in her way. So I moved over to the side, but then she moved back as well and started touching my hair and then said to me, Oh, it's so hard. So not only are you inappropriately touching my hair, but then you're now having a negative comment about my hair. I was a little taken aback. And then because this always happens to me, I get very snappy. And I, was, I said, it's hard because it doesn't want to be touched. I, the, I, I'm trying to form a question about how she reacted and stuff, but mostly at the moment I'm like, people touched your hair without asking and what the hell. Oh, this happens to me all the time. And I mean, I know it's very odd to see, I guess, my type of hair. Uh, could you describe your, your type of hair? So I wear my hair naturally. The whole natural hair world has so many different acronyms and everything for the way your hair is. So basically, I'll just say I have maybe a looser form of very tight curl. Part of the spectrum of what we call African hair from yes. here to the States to Africa to all sorts of different countries. Well, there's an actual chart that you can look up where it describes the different hair textures by numbers and letters. So if your hair is straight, then you're like a one. And depending on how much wave you get, you can be a one A, B, or C. So then as you get curlier, your hair becomes a two or a three, and the curliest hair is a four. And the curliest hair with the tightest curl is called a four C. And a lot of African women identify themselves as four C, this kinkier, curlier texture of hair, which I always kind of wanted because you always want what you can't have. But I ended up having 4A. So more curl, but less of the zigzaggier texture, more of an S curl. I have a lot of little spiral curls. That was Lenya talking about her hair experiences. Amisa May McConnor wrote a thesis on African-Australian hair, and she thinks you should know that this is a thing, and probably not a great thing, and she'd like to tell you a bit more about it. Amisa, thanks for coming in. Thank you. Have you experienced this just random strangers coming up and grabbing your hair? I think I have mainly when my hair has been particularly large and when I say large, a large afro. So at the moment it's quite short. I shaved it recently and it has been a pretty common feature of my hair experience, definitely. We're going to talk about this a little more in depth a bit later on, but what the hell? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Very much so. But you don't feel like you can say that. It's a really bizarre interaction, I think, personally, because I often have this inclination not to be rude, to be really polite. And it can be really difficult to truly say, what the hell? It's You're trying to express it physically for me. And it's a really challenging experience. Do you think people understand what you're feeling when they grab your hair? No, I think there's this perception that it's... Well, it is okay to be curious, but there's a difference in being curious and then touching someone's hair without their permission, without even asking for permission and just readily doing it. So I think there's this sense that you have a right to simply touch 
someone's hair because it's different. It doesn't look like your own. And that presents quite an interesting little scenario because for me, I see a lot of people who don't have hair like my own in Australia. And I mean, you know, straight hair that is quite different to my own. And I would never dream of touching it. And I don't have an interest in touching it. And perhaps that is because of my own experience with hair touching. But it seems like a very sort of common sense idea to me not to touch a stranger's hair without their permission. We might back up just a second and talk about what kind of hair we're talking about. Mm -hmm. In your thesis, you talk about your own hair Mm -hmm. and you've had lots of cool hairstyles over your life. You say, my hair story has taken me from curls to relaxer, braids to weaves, from bright orange to pink to purple, and finally back to my natural brown curls. I think a lot of the different types of hair might be unfamiliar to some of our listeners. So relaxer is using chemicals to straighten your hair. I think the active ingredient is lye, L-Y-E. It's incredibly strong. It's even stronger than peroxide, I believe. So you can't actually dye your hair at the same time. You have to sort of really choose if you're going to relax it or you're going to colour it. That's how strong the chemicals are. And like one of the things that inspired you to do Mm -hmm. the thesis was a film that Chris Rock was in that you have mixed feelings about called Good Hair. And in that he goes to this giant vat of, of lye and this is huge caustic stuff but at the same time it has this really you know cool effect if you're going for straight hair exactly and yeah that that film was absolutely part of part of the inspiration for the thesis there is that really great scene where um chris rock discusses with a scientist and they do these little experiments and you know they apply the lie to a coke can and the coke can completely disintegrates and then chris rock says to this scientist you know this is what african-american women are putting on their hair and this scientist is completely shocked. And yeah, it, it, uh, it is chemicals that are incredibly strong. And the only way you can sort of go back to your natural hair is by letting it grow out at the root. It won't just go back to a curl. So that's relaxer. It's very strong. And once it's in, it's in. You can't take it out. Right. You have to grow it out or, you know, transitioning, which is usually cutting your hair quite short or shaving it, as you might with dreadlocks, to start from scratch. Yeah. Then there's a couple other. There's weave, there's braid. So weaving is you're usually cornrowing your natural hair underneath and it's incredibly tight, those cornrows. And then you can sew the, it's either synthetic hair or you're going to use human hair to sew into your braids. And it'll give the effect of, you know, Beyonce. Beyonce hair, straight hair, and um, or you can curl it. You, you know, you can have curly weaves. There's a whole range of weaves, huge industry. But it's yeah, sewing on other hair onto your natural hair. sort of hair touching we're talking about is that common it is common for me it's been both strangers and friends and when it's friends I think it's just as hard to say things particularly if you're not particularly close whether it's a work relationship or otherwise yeah it's very hard to say oh please don't oh I don't feel comfortable and particularly when the comments come after the hair touching as well so so if I I was a friend of yours um probably a less sensitive friend at this point and I come to you and say hey can I touch your hair what's going through your mind at that point please don't, please don't ask the question. I wish this wasn't happening. Particularly if it's a group setting, I find it mortifying. I find it incredibly embarrassing. Particularly that it's often the first thing someone will say to you. It usually happens if you're just meeting someone that that's one of the first questions. And I feel like there's so much more you can ask about me and other people. From the way you're saying it, it sounds like this happens all the time. In the words of one of the readings that we did for this, it sounds like it's the worst thing about it is it's ordinary. Absolutely. It's 
when you least expect it, so whether you're at work, whether you're at university, whether you're in the supermarket, walking down the street, just really banal situations that you're sort of brought back into the fact that someone sees you as different and they feel the right to let you know that you're different and they want to touch it as well. And it's incredibly infuriating at times, particularly the context. And it might sound odd, but particularly when it is in these really ordinary settings, you just think, why can't I just go about my business without this interruption? Almost like a tax people charge you as you walk around, come to the supermarket, let me touch your hair, that's okay. Great analogy. Yeah, absolutely. Presumably, they think it's just curiosity, but there's more going on there, isn't there? I think there definitely is. And I agree. I think that's the perspective and where a lot of people come from. It's just, I'm curious and I've never seen this before. It's interesting. But there is a lot behind it because more often than not, or as one of the interviewees said, it's always white people. So there's a lot of weight, there's a lot of baggage behind it, and it's this touching of otherness and and difference and why do you need to just tacitly experience it? You you don't need to touch it. In the States, they talk about it a lot as kind of legacies of slavery as being Mm -hmm. one of the problems, you know, my body doesn't belong to you. Mm. Stop going with this assumption that you can just do what you like with it. Do you think there's something similar here in Australia? Do you think it's a different sort of problem? I think the similarities are there, that that is the issue, that it can be degrading, as one of the interviewees said. I mean, we don't have that same slave history for African Australians, obviously, but I think the same sentiment is there. I think a lot of African Australian men and women want to feel like they have ownership over their bodies, over their space. And when you touch someone's hair, you're, you're invading that space and you're limiting their control in some, some ways. I mean, obviously you can speak back, but that puts an incredible burden on an African-Australian person. It is something that is definitely linked to the American experience, but it also diverges because of that, you know, we have that difference of history. So the history is different, but you're still kind of being picked out for your difference as looking African. One of the things about being seen as African or African-Australian here is that people expect you to behave in a particular way. And it's both amongst other African-Australians and amongst non-African people. Absolutely. I think some of the most interesting responses from the work was the amount of pressure and the expectations put on African-Australian women to do African culture. So to perform culture and to do it in a really specific way. And it was particularly apparent that they felt this pressure from the African-Australian community that they had to present well and there was this emphasis on appearance because, yeah, they're representing Africanness and they don't want negative connotations. And then there's also the pressure from outside the African community to appear in a really positive way so that there aren't those negative connotations. So it's this double-barreled pressure that was, yeah, a huge burden for these women and young girls as well from the women I spoke to. So basically, if I get cross in a shop, that's me getting cross. If an African-Australian gets cross, all African-Australians are angry. Right. I mean, I drew on the work of Peggy McIntosh and how she puts it is talking about white privilege and that white privilege operates that if I swear, if I wear secondhand clothes, that won't be attributed to my race. But for African-Australians, that most likely will be. And so... And she has a wonderful long list of all the things that you get for having white privilege. It's like 30, 40 things before she runs out of ideas. (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly. And one of the women I spoke to, Hillary, who had two daughters, there was this sort of heartbreaking story where she sent her two girls to a private school and parents had said to her girls, oh, your girls must be here because they're on a scholarship for poor and disadvantaged students. And when her daughter told her that, she was horrified and she understood what that meant. Because my daughters are black and going to this private school, they must be poor or disadvantaged. And she made this concerted effort to make sure she bought new school uniforms for them. Despite her girl's friends perhaps having secondhand uniforms, she said she made it a priority that she would get those new uniforms so they weren't thought of as any different. And so people didn't think that her girls were disadvantaged. She really internalised this and worked really hard to make sure that those thoughts, those connotations weren't applied to her daughters. In your thesis, this sort of extra stuff you have to do to prove I'm, I'm a good person or mm. e- even occasionally I'm, I'm not this horrifying figure of an African-Australian you have in your head somewhere. It's described as shadow work. Absolutely. So I drew a lot on the work of Elizabeth Spellman. It's this extra work, this internal work that is unseen, that is done by African Australians in obviously the way I appropriated it, that is a burden. And it's work that white Australians don't have to think about, but it's work that's constantly thought about for African Australians. And it comes with a great deal of effort. And I think my point is, and it still remains from when I wrote it, is that this work should be shared. It shouldn't just be the work of African Australians and that burden needs to be shared. So kind of the sense that the understanding of race should not just be something I have to do as an African Australian, well, not me, but an African Australian (laughs) has to do in order to navigate the world, but that non-African people should be aware that this is a thing, should go out of their way, basically not to be a dick. Absolutely. And to recognise that whiteness is a race. And just because blackness is really marked, and we always think of blackness as this racial category, so is whiteness. And you have a responsibility as well, and you can do some of the work. We've been carrying the load for a while, (laughs) so we can share the load. Lenya has a little bit more to say about her share of this load. I know someone who looks pretty Anglo. She also was telling me just recently that she was sitting on a train and somebody did the same thing to her hair, which, you know, sucks and she did not like it at all. But it also sounds like there is stuff going on when people touch your hair that was not going on when people touch her hair. Probably not, yeah. I mean, like, you know, blonde women who go to certain parts of the world get their hair touched because they don't see blonde people all the time. And I think for them, it actually is something that's a little bit more, you know, like, oh, she's so beautiful, blah, blah, blah. But when they're touching my hair, they're expecting something that I necessarily don't live up to. I feel like, you know, like your hair is so hard. Or the other one is because I have gel in my hair to keep it down. But there was one time some woman touched my hair and she goes, it's like cotton wool. And I don't understand what that's meant to mean as well. Like, you know, they have this expectation and it's not a nice expectation. I don't know what they're expecting when they're touching my hair without asking, but it's negative. Like the hair equivalent of rubbing you for luck. Yes. But even that's nicer than what I sometimes feel. How do you feel once they've gone? I feel pretty violated, you know. Yeah, that woman really upset me because not only did she inappropriately touch my hair, then she had a negative comment about it. And that was a little upsetting. You're saying that more recently you've started telling people off. Yes. Like you didn't used to and now you do. Does anyone apologize after you tell them off? No, actually, they get pretty offended that I'm offended. They think that they're being nice. More often than not, I get the next response from them is anger. What sort of things have they said to you when they get angry? 
well, this woman was just like, well, I wasn't doing anything wrong. And I've had in the past just, you know, I don't understand why it bothers you. I've had actually quite a lot. Or I don't see what's wrong with it or what's wrong with me touching your hair because I'll say, hey, that's not on or something like that. That's my new one is, hey, it's not on. If I feel them touching my hair before they say something, you know, I just, I don't, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Because in America or anywhere else I've visited, no one has ever done this. Only ever experienced it here in Australia. If there's someone listening who has done this to someone with dark curly hair and not seen what's wrong with it, what would you like to say to them? I want to pull on your hair. I want to pull on your hair in the same way that you pull on mine. I want to invade your personal space without your knowledge or consent, and I want to see how you feel. That was Lenya's experience, and like general experience as well as recent experience. Um, And she very nicely came in and told us about it as we heard that it had happened recently. But as you heard in her story, when you confront someone about this, they tend to get angry. This is a subject that makes white people defensive, weirdly enough. And here I am, a white guy in a studio, talking to you about this, asking you about this. Should this be your problem? Right. I really don't think it should be because it really isn't our problem. All we've done is grow our hair as most people choose to or choose not to or style their hair as they choose to or choose not to. And it's, I think, really the hair touches problem. They're coming into someone else's space and deciding that it is their right to do so. So I don't see it as a problem for us. And when I say us, I mean African-Australians. I think for some African-Australians, it is viewed as a problem in the sense that if they have natural hair, they may perceive that it is more touchable or that people want to touch it more because it appears different. So that's where some people may choose to straighten it or to have it look less kinky, less less textured. But as I found when I spoke to one of my interviewees, she said they'll still touch it. So you're sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't. So I still think at the end of the day, it is certainly not our problem. It remains the problem of the hair toucher. How would you rather that interaction went, assuming we went as far as touching the hair, how would you prefer it went? They've touched the hair. They've touched the hair. You've said that's not on. What happens next? I would, I would say after saying it's, it's not on, I would welcome them asking why, because I think that begins a conversation and It provides me with the opportunity of really voicing my concerns, my anger, my frustration, feelings of violation, inappropriateness, degradation. And it would probably come out in word vomit, but it needs to be said. And you never get the why. It's always they have that right and you just need to cop it on the chin. And I think the why is really important because it allows engagement and hopefully facilitate some kind of understanding so that they're not going to do it again or if they are so into the hair that they're going to do it again they're at least going to ask for permission that seems like a weird basic thing basic. not to ask for permission basic yeah how can you think of a, a it keeps leaving me speechless this is the second interview i've done about this this week and i kind of reached these points of pure vocal fry where there are no words right how can anyone think that's that's okay and I guess we've got this hypothetical white person who goes so far as touching your hair, Mm. but then listens. Mm. What should this hypothetical person do next, do you think? What should they take away? 
I wonder. I mean, I would just love there to be a bit of understanding and maybe if they can possibly imagine the role reversal, you know, how would they feel if a black person just came up to them and tugged on their cute ponytail? How would they feel if someone touched their gelled hair? Whatever it may be, I'm sure you'd be annoyed that your hairstyle might be ruined at the very least. That's something we we didn't get to talk about was quite apart from anything else, the hairstyles that are being touched, they take hours and hundreds of dollars. Exactly. And and who knows where your hands have been. So I don't want them in my hair. And it's just at that basic level, just get out. But it doesn't seem to be something personally that I have been able to do that just get out and I I so desperately want to. But yeah, it ruins your hairstyle. When I had longer Afro hair, I used to sort of have a little fringe and it was puffed up to, you know, just the right level of puff and then someone would touch it and it would, it would ruin it. So at that really basic level, it's just like there has been effort, there's been time, there has been money. Don't ruin it. Don't mess with it. Admire it, keep your distance. Exactly. Amisa, thank you for coming in and talking to us today. Thanks so much. If you liked what Amisa had to say, you can find her thesis. We're going to link to it on the show notes for this podcast, but you can also Google Amisa May McConnor and you will find her thesis there. The name of the thesis is Here Is It For Africans, African-Australian Hair Stories, and it's a pretty good read. If you like this podcast and you think someone you know might like it, tell them that they should check it out. There are links on our website at fbiradio.com slash notwhatyouthink, and there are a bunch of other great FBI podcasts at fbiradio.com slash podcasts. Want us to cover something that we haven't? Send us an email via fbiradio.com slash notwhatyouthink. There are links there. We'd like to know about it. Know What You Think is produced by Samira Farah. It was created by Laura Briley, Claire Holland, and me. I'm Zasha Rosen. Show art is by the amazingly talented Annie Hamilton. Seriously, the amount of things she can do. Keep listening for our next episode. If you like Not What You Think, FBI does all sorts of other podcasts, including All the Best with Pip. Hey, I'm Pip, and I host our storytelling show, All the Best, with Michael Bryden. We do docos, features, and fiction. Tune in to FBI Radio at 10.30am every Saturday, or at allthebestradio.com, and anywhere you listen to your podcasts.